welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, fiction coordinator over at Booktopia. I'm sitting in my uh, bedroom, actually. Uh, because <laughs> it's the quietest uh, room I have in my home. And I'm joined over Skype by the wonderful and voracious reader, uh, Sarah McDooling. How are you, Sarah? Um, I'm good, thanks, Ben. <laughs> Excellent. And on the line, um, if her internet is uh, persisting, we should have Burr Carroll. Hi, Burr. Hi, Ben. I'm also in my bedroom, I might add. Oh, good. <laughs> I've got a notice on my door to keep the children out, so hopefully that will work. Excellent. Well, I'm in my living room. I feel like I did this all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, Burr, you've got a, a wonderful new page turner, which is just coming out. It's called Who We Were. It's a new sort of thriller that is based all around a school reunion. Would you like to introduce it to us? Okay. Um, it's, um, as you mentioned, it's about a school reunion. And I actually started writing the book, you know, with a sentimental slant, you know, the thought of um, comparing somebody today with who they were 20 years ago during their final year of high school. And, um and that went sort of out the window very quickly and it became apparent to me that a school reunion was a really good context for something more sinister. Um, and so I threw all that sentimentality and nostalgia out the window very early on and decided to um, go after that sinister um, type of environment. And um, But also, I hopefully, very realistic because um, it was very important to me. And it's always important to me when I'm reading um, this genre to to like the characters. I hate it when you read a book and you don't like a single character. So I wanted them to be real and I hope I achieved that. You definitely you, you achieved... certainly have. <laughs> you agree, Sarah. Um, I, I was trying to do a mental calculation before the podcast of how many points of view you have. And I've I got, got up to 10. Yeah, seven. There's seven points of view. Um, oh. And I said after my last novel, I would never do that again. Um, in my defense, oh my goodness, can you hear somebody revving their motorbike in the background? No, I can't hear it. It's added drama. Uh, some nice background noise. Um, in my defense this time, you know, this is a, um, a fictional cohort um, where there's supposed to be 80 odd students. So to create a believable cohort, I needed, in my view, at least seven points of view. And But of course, all of those um, characters needed their own families and their own friends. And, um, you know, their lives today are not that interconnected. So um, it was very hard to write this story without a million characters, basically. <laughs> so... Well, they're such good ones, though. And when I was trying to quickly remember all the point of view characters, I think I must have counted some of the side characters because I went over seven. I think I may have counted Izzy. Okay. I, and who, by uh, the yeah, Izzy isn't. Um, it doesn't have a point of view. Yeah. Uh, I really liked her. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I liked her too. Um, and um, she surprised me actually in the book. <laughs> Should we do a little like um, a roll call? I guess we could do a roll call. Yes. Okay. Well, if I forget anyone, will you remind me? <laughs> okay. I'll start with Katie because the book starts with Katie. And I think Katie is probably the character that's most based on me. She's um, somebody who's was really quiet at school and um, blossomed outside of that environment and really kind of found herself, um, um, as people often do, right? Um, 
and now she's a school teacher and um and even though she kind of counsels her students you know especially her year 11 and year 12 students always telling them you know you can always change who you were who you are when you leave school you can leave behind that persona you know if you want to um there is a part of katie that's approaching this reunion that really wants to prove to everyone just how much she's changed um and she's the person who's coordinating the reunion um, and then there's Annabelle, and I suppose Annabelle, you know, is a little bit of a stereotype, but hopefully she goes deeper than that, because um, I think I was kind to Annabelle. Um, she's, you know, your your very popular type, um, and has always been popular, and you know, always looked down on Katie at school, and sort of really still does, um, and and kind of is one of those people who, you know, leaves school but doesn't change that much you know um and and sometimes you know some people are proud of that that they that they don't change and that they're still the same um and I'm not sure really if that's always something to be proud of and but Annabelle has her own challenges and I do think that Annabelle um as I said I I tried very hard to be kind to her and to make her rounded and I hope I hope I achieved that um and there's Luke. Um, Luke lives in London. Um, and Luke's motto has always been look forward, don't look back. And he was one of those students who couldn't wait to get the hell out of school and, and initially has no interest whatsoever in going to the school reunion. Um, there's Robbie. Um, Robbie is kind of one of the sad cases. And I think in every school reunion, there's a, a sad, you know, there's a number of sad cases. There's lives lost due to accidents and mental illness and um, Robbie is one of those cases. He's someone whose life has never launched um, and he blamed school for that fact. And even though his family haven't seen him for 20 years, he decides quite bizarrely to come back for this um, school reunion. Um, there's Grace. Um, Grace was Annabelle's best friend because girls like um, Annabelle always have a best friend who's their you know, most <laughs> devoted sidekick. And Grace has changed since she left school and um, and now, you know, realizes that she didn't really like Annabelle that much when she was at school and likes her a lot more today and feels that their relationship is on a more of an even footing today. Um, and of course, there's Zach. Have I, have I hit everybody? Zach is um, probably the most transformed. Zach was, you know, popular and cruel. Um, and really willing to do anything for a joke at school. And today, um, largely due to his wife, um, Izzy, um, who's a doctor like he is, and, um, and because of his son, Carson, who was born with Down syndrome, um, Zach is the most transformed. He believes he has completely changed who he was. And, and neither does he want to go to the school reunion because he believes there's a lot more important things in life. Um, and and he also feels he can't possibly sort of summarize, you know, all the things, you know, that have happened to him over the last 20 years to change him. And but it's his wife, Izzy, who convinces him to go. So I think that's everyone. And what a what a crew they are. I was so fascinated reading this book because I think we're all attracted to the idea that we've I don't know, speaking for myself, I like the idea that I've changed since I was in high school. Yeah. I don't want to think like I'm the same person. I think the quiet people always do change because I think the environment of school doesn't encourage quiet people to blossom. Um, yeah. And they're too young 
anyway. They're too young to sort of find that backbone. I think they find that backbone away from people who haven't known them since they were in year seven or, you know, who haven't known them since they were 12. My yeah. daughter put it to me once because, um, you know, she has a lot of she has some primary school friends that she still has held on to and some high school friends. And those primary school friends are in a very definite place for her because she can't. Oh, she said, I can't talk to them about boys. They don't, you know, I don't talk to them about boys. We used to, you know, playing the swings together. So it's kind of like a little bit like, I guess, the friends, you know, in high school. Sometimes, you know, you can't kind of break who you were Mm. um, in that environment. If you're if you were if you were the quiet one, I think um, there are many others who aren't and um, and you have no trouble, um, you know, speaking up for themselves and, and many who are really, really sad to leave school who who had a ball there and um so it, it it does i guess as with everything if you get a cohort of 80 or 100 people that's a lot of people and it's a lot of different experiences yeah i can, I can just hear from uh, the way you're speaking how much you, you gravitate to katie sarah who do you gravitate to out of i i also really liked katie really i also katie, really yeah. liked grace um and Gosh, I like I I was very attracted to Zach's storyline just because that sort of a transformation is really and and to have someone who you know leads an admirable life now um, feel such shame about the way they were when they were younger that was very interesting to me. So I don't know if I would say that I specifically related as much as I did for parts of Grace and Katie's story, but I was very interested in Zach. Yeah, mm, I enjoyed certainly. writing writing Zach. I enjoy and I enjoyed the fact that in I think in a lot of psychological thrillers you get people who are just bad, bad, bad. I enjoyed making him, you know, new instant, not really that bad. So mm. yeah, like he's done things that are bad, but yeah. he feels such shame and horror over it that. I don't know. He's a great character. I found the whole dynamics were so, it's so interesting to have a a bunch of people and you lay out sort of how they were interconnected as kids and then examining how they are as adults and who stayed in contact and who didn't and how everyone is standing now. Like, it's just a fascinating idea. It must be a Herculean task. But as an, it as was. An to, to then I had it. A, I had a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and look, when I, I wrote it, I well, I didn't write it with the spreadsheet. I wrote it just the way it came out, you know. Um, and it came out, and I, because I was, you know, living it as I was writing it, it all made sense. But as soon as you start to deconstruct a novel like that and try and edit it and change things around, it's an absolute nightmare because you already know what happens, and then you can't remember at what point you knew what happened or who knew what because you're seven you <laughs> seven of them actually I remember I missed one I missed Melissa um who was easy to miss oh um, yeah probably, Melissa. yeah probably a bit like Melissa too um and Melissa was the one I was really trying hard to you know crystallize her role she was she was hard in some respects very easy in other respects because she was you know has a corporate role and I used to work you know in that type of environment so her business side was really easy but just trying to get the dynamic between her and the others was really hard trying to get that right so but I had a spreadsheet then um, and <laughs> color-coded spreadsheet um, and when I was 
editing, I've realized um, my earlier novels, you know, weren't suspense driven. They always had a little bit of suspense, but it was very easy to track what was what. But my goodness, when you've got a number of perspectives and as soon as you make a change, it is, um, it's very left brain. I'm trying to keep track of it, I must say. Mm. Did you discover, sorry, I'm talking, it's it's so hard when you're podcasting and you can't see the other people. I feel like I'm constantly of the top of people don't apologize to me I'm (laughs) I'm Irish and we interrupt each other at the best of times without any excuse for podcasts (laughs) if you heard my family zoom call on Sunday night um it was absolutely hilarious (laughs) (laughs) um I just wanted to know whether you knew before you started writing like the solution to the mystery in this book or if you discovered it along the way um I normally don't know the solution. Um, I did know in this instance who it was. And I had a lot of fun getting there. Um, and I didn't know how it was going to resolve itself. And I have to thank a, a fellow author for helping me um, figure out how to resolve it. I, I almost had the book finished. Um, and I was away on a writing weekend as um, Petronella McGovern. We were away on a writing weekend together. And um, I was like, oh, my God, I, I have no idea how I'm going to solve this. I need to get everybody together. Um, it's obvious with what has happened that the reunion can't go ahead or they'd all be, you know, crazy to go ahead with it now. Um, how am I going to get them all together? Um, and she said, well, it would have to be a wedding or a funeral. Um, and that way I was able to go, oh, okay, that's, you know, uh, <laughs> solve it. thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm forever grateful to her because I had totally written myself into this fix and didn't know how I was going to, you know, get, get out my of way it. out of it. Yes, which regularly <laughs> happens with me. So, yeah, because you reach a point where everyone's been so threatened. But we, I don't know if we've mentioned in the podcast that the dilemma these people find themselves in is that they're getting threatening notes. Did, have we said that? No, we, ha- no. we haven't. <laughs> it's, so uh, it's, tread, tread lightly, Sarah. Uh, well, no, it's, 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 it, I think the back of the book says that there are anonymous threats yes. being made. I think that's fair <laughs> enough. And And the initial way that the threats are made or because Katie is organizing a new yearbook um, for the, the year 2020 and um, where everyone is meant to have you know their own summary entry saying you know where they are today what they've achieved over the last 20 years and um, and you know as a memento and um, but instead of um, you know everyone sending in their entries they start receiving these anonymous updates um, from somebody who obviously has been watching them all um, and, and has had access to their private lives. And, and what starts off looking as some kind of elaborate joke, um, it quickly becomes evident that it's more sinister and um, this particular individual has been inside their homes um, and, um, and they don't just want revenge. They're, you know, it's very serious indeed. So, um yeah, so they are all under threat by the end. Um, and it is really hard. And we've got seven perspectives to sort of keep, um, you know, keep it going. And I don't like tricking the reader. You know, I don't like those books where you you go, oh, but that doesn't make any sense because we were with that character and, you know, yeah, um, that's not consistent. And yes, it's a great twist, but it doesn't make any sense. So, um, 
it, it is it's hard <laughs> mm-hmm. it but so well done though and I think it's part of what makes this such a propulsive read is that the menace of of this unknown person with an unknown agenda writing all these terrible things to people is really threatening like that is really it's it's so scary it's so malicious yeah mm. I think everyday things are more threatening though aren't they when they're everyday people and an everyday way of delivering that threat and yeah um and I guess it goes back to having characters who you believe are real and and you want to you want them to be real um um yeah so I'm glad I'm glad that did you did you figure out who it was I I I think I figured started to started to think who it was about the time you wanted me to like okay. yeah I feel like right when um I don't want to say one of the characters has a a moment of clarity um and says something to one of the other characters and that's when I started to piece it together but I still didn't know the exact you know Um, you start to see a connection but you don't really know exactly what has happened it was very very well done thank you (laughs) (laughs) it just took um a very you know complicated spreadsheet and a lot of swearing and a lot of tearing my hair out (laughs) (laughs) and um but really that's the nicest compliment that you know when you can pull it off because there's always a point in a novel where you think I can't I'm not really sure I can pull this off well and you you had a nicer array of um red herrings as well because a few other people come into it and I think when you're in such a state of you've been in that reading this book and you're very tense and you don't know who's going to be threatened next um the any new character that shows up you immediately look at with like yeah. Suspicion. Yeah. Yes, suspicion um, grows really fast. Yeah. It's that's yeah. the fun thing about that genre though, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, you're constantly on the watch out. Who is it? <laughs> yes. Um but um can you talk a little bit about the character of Robbie? Um because mm. his he just was remarkable from the get go for me. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, thank you. Um I I suppose I've always been interested in um you know when you hear because I've never been to a reunion myself this is the funny thing because I left Ireland um quite young and missed all those reunions but I've lots of friends here who um go to reunions quite regularly and I've always been hanging on to every word they say um and I've always been sort of interested because you take a period of 20 years you know, there are people who fall through the cracks and I've been interested in the reasons why those people fall through the cracks. And um, and in Robbie's story, um, again, believability to me was that, you know, driver of it and, and the family and how important family are, you know, when people fall through the cracks and, and you know, th- there's always family that's impacted as well, like his sister, his parents, um, and it's very hard to talk about Robbie without giving much away. Um, mm. It's hard to talk about him. And I'm a bit scared I'll get criticized for him. Um, but I put an awful lot of thought and, and research and um, I put a lot into him. So I, I hope that he is believable. And I, I hope that um, people will respond to him like you have been. Yeah, good. 
I'm, I'm so too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Someone else just, did say to me today as well that um, they have quite a sad story about their brother and that, you know, reading about Robbie reminded them about their brother. And I, I do sometimes think it is the boys very often who do fall through the cracks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's a- a very sympathetic character. Oh, good. That's good to know. (laughs) But when you go there, when you go into that and you go into mental illness and and even with Carson, who's got Down syndrome, and you go into those areas and you take them on as a writer, you are petrified that you're going to be criticised. There is something very petrifying, especially just as the book is, you know, just out, you want to snatch it back and go, "Ah, actually, I think I'll keep this one to myself. Oh, yes, must, but it, yeah, must, yeah. it must be the fear that uh, drives you on to achieve wonderful things. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does it feel to have this one publishing in this um, strange, weird time where we're all just sitting in our bedrooms and living rooms and not looking <laughs> at one another? I have to say yesterday was one of the weirdest days of my life, actually. <laughs> I was in my bedroom on my laptop for pretty much the whole day and I have never felt so tired even though I didn't move I was exhausted absolutely exhausted so it is um I'm very much a people to people person I love meeting people I love talking to people I'm not overly in love with social media and I I find it um I have to dig deep to to pull it off and so I think the reason I actually had to have a lie down yesterday afternoon I was so tired for about 15 minutes I went oh my god I have to lie down I took to my bed in the middle of my release day <laughs> but I found it so draining I would much have rather been out there you know in bookshops and um you know visiting booktopia which I've done with all my other books um you know there's no substitute for me um but I, at the same, by the same time, I, I feel lucky. I feel lucky that at least with the release here, the you know bookshops are open, we're functioning, we're a little bit behind, and things are taking longer to get from A to B. But um, we've got light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's releasing in the UK next week, and um, nothing is open there. And um, I don't know if things are even being delivered. Um, I'm not sure they are in Ireland being delivered. Um, So, um, you know, warehouses aren't open. Nothing is open. So, um, and really there there is a certain amount of freedom with that that you just have to go, well, there's absolutely nothing I can do about it, really. There's, you know, um, it's, um, you know, while this is disappointing, there is a certain amount of liberation in the fact there is not a single thing you can do about it. So... Yeah, you just have to surrender. You do. You do have to surrender. And the truth is, every single family is affected in some way or another. Everybody. So um, you can complain. But I think if you complain too loud and too hard, really, you're being a bit selfish because there are people who are impacted always, you know, in a worse than me. So, um, yeah, and I have um, become, you know... um, better at um you know social you know I, I i don't mind social media i just feel i'm not one of those people who can do it all day um um but i have learned new skills as a result i recorded a video in my study um <laughs> and um you would never have known that the 
phone was on top of the ironing board, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> um, and things like that. So, yeah, I think we are all learning some new skills. I've resolved that I will definitely, definitely be getting a new laptop um, once, <laughs> I, once I can cope with, you know, the inconvenience of um, setting up the new laptop. Um, and um, I've made a few resolutions to myself like that. So, um, and I've been reading heaps, heaps and heaps and heaps. So um, I wasn't at the start, I was really distracted. Um, but about two weeks in, I went, I went back to reading, lots and lots of reading and it's made me feel immeasurably better, so. That's excellent to hear. Yes. I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you never yourself um, got to a school reunion. I know, um, can you believe that? It's very tragic. <laughs> but not fair. <laughs> well, I've, I, I had a, I, I think my school had a 10-year reunion, which right. I, which I either missed the invitation to or, or, or blew off. <laughs> right. of the I think the, the, yeah. I, the idea of it just uh, horrifies me. Um, uh, Sarah, have you gone to one? Uh, I went to a five-year one, and then I decided after the five-year one that I would wait until the 50-year one. And oh, <laughs> Because the truth is, is that mostly, with a few few exceptions, few people who live overseas or who um, are interstate, and I don't see as often as I'd like, I mainly keep in contact with my close friends from high school. And so yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know something. I I guess I shy away a bit from the idea of it. Um, although I don't know, I just think that I couldn't go to any others really. Like it, I don't think it was really a choice. I just had other stuff on, and I did mentally say to myself that the next one is fifty. So, yeah, I think you feel differently about them when you're younger. Um, it's too close as you get older. Maybe a bit more philosophical. But um, I missed one because I, I was in Ireland in February and I missed one by you know eight days or something like that and. Um, I was included in the chat about it um, and actually I've written a few articles about school reunions and a few articles about school and there's one particular girl I thought mm, I really don't want to explain that article to her because she's, it's pretty much about her. <laughs> so, Did um, you have an Annabelle in your, in your school? I think everyone had an Annabelle. Um, <laughs> the school I went to um, was not I see it's because it's this book is so you know um much of a fiction because it represents nothing of my school experience I went to an all-girls convent school um there was no men <laughs> so um, there was no um netball cricket you know or um <laughs> anything like that that didn't they didn't make the cut for 1980s school sport um, and the school principal was Sister Stanislaus, who was the most terrifying nun <laughs> that you've ever met in your whole life. Um, and actually, she died this week. And um, so this reunion chat just took off when she died, because instead of, you know, very um, lots of messages of condolences, there was lots of messages of, you know, traumatized people um, to the point where somebody posted something from the Good Samaritan saying, oh, my God, you sound like you need to talk to somebody <laughs> So oh, wow. it, was, it, it was interesting. So my school, my mom thought she was being very wise sending, you know, because I, I grew up in Blarney, which is in the country. She thought she was doing a great thing, sending me into the city to school. Um, I knew not a single person when I started at that school. So it took me quite a long time to find my feet. Um, 
And so it was a completely different experience. I can't tell you how much of a, of a fiction who we were is, but then it is based on, even though it is a work of fiction in terms of my own experience, I have listened and I have listened hard to my friends talking about their reunions and I have, you know, quizzed them at a point where they never even knew why I was quizzing them. And I probably didn't even know myself, um, you know, why I was quizzing them. And I've observed my children now are 18 and 15 and I've, you know, I've watched them go through school here. So I, I feel I have a really good handle on what the Australian what does school that, experience that feel is. like to see your 18 year old will have um, graduated now and done the whole well, he's not graduated yet. He's uh, very unfortunately doing his HSC. Oh, it's a really oh, bad year wow. doing your HSC. Um, but it's it's really interesting. Um, he was one of the first readers of the book, actually. Um, wow. And it's interesting to watch. And there's one or two things he went, no, you need to fix that. But for the most part, it, um, it passed the test. So um, I kind of feel, but it's taken me, I've lived here 25 years. I've had a long time to gather that information. This isn't a book I could have written when I lived in Australia for five years or 10 years or even 15 years. I love that your teenage son was a reader for you because if there's one takeaway from this book that I had, it's that teenagers are terrifying. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but also there's a lot of love Um yeah them as well like especially from the character of Katie who just I think has a a great like understanding and love of kids that age but um but yeah it did make me feel quite terrified as I think teachers do though <laughs> I think teachers do understand young people really really well yeah um, because they're dealing with them en masse you know, as a parent, you're dealing with one or two, um, but they're dealing, you know, with 160 of them and they, you know, 160 18 year olds and are 17, 18 year olds. And I think that they really know, you know, what makes them tick. And they're in that weird age of, you know, they're adults, you know, um, by the time they graduate, most of them are 18. Um, but they're not, they're babies, really. And we all know that now, that they're babies. <laughs> um, you don't feel it at the time when you're that age, but, you know, you, you're a child. I think you're a child until you're 30, really. <laughs> <laughs> My nephew lives here and he's 24. And I look at him um, and I was that age when I came to Australia. And I think to myself, you are just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that comes through in the book as well. I can't remember which character it is who's looking at, I think maybe Grace, looking at photos of them all when they were in year 12 and yes. that they're just babies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the character of uh, Annabelle's son, Daniel, really brought through a lot of interesting things about those difficult teenage years and Melissa's stepchildren as well. Yes, and, and look, when Annabelle... Um you know, that whole parenting thing and trying to navigate your way around, you know, not, not, not all teenagers are difficult, um, but some of them, you know, are spectacularly difficult and um, trying to navigate your way around that. And, um, you know, she may have, you know, once in her life been the mean girl at school, but today she is a mother who really is at the end of her tether. Um, 
and 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 often the you know the strain that puts you know on your marriage and on other things is is huge it was so it was such an interesting balance of emotions though as a reader to feel such sympathy for Annabelle and the trouble she was having with her son but then you would hear a flashback of her when she was young and just you couldn't help thinking that she's getting her just deserved yeah (laughs) but really when she was young you know she wasn't as bad as Zach she was just one of those people who was you know mean with words and Mm. not even mean with words I would say cutting cutting that you know um and Zach was different Zach was you know and even Zach you know what he did was bad but it wasn't all bad either it was driven by a need to make people laugh yeah Um, and and really you know when you kind of take that scale of badness um neither of them are really that bad not psychotic bad no probably shouldn't be saying that um but (laughs) but there are people that you not unfathomably bad yes yes. they're not evil they just weren't the best teenagers (laughs) and it it must be it must be an easy way out as a author of these kinds of page turners to to just make people impossibly ridiculous well Um, i I, in fairness my editor didn't she didn't um it was really nice because um she accepted these characters with you know it was important to me that they weren't you know, black, that they was kind of, um, they weren't all bad. Um, and look, they've got to the, you know, they've had 20 years to round themselves out. Um, and with my last novel with Sophie McCarthy, I had so many arguments with the editors about Sophie McCarthy and about how far to take her badness. Um, so, <laughs> and again, it was really important to me that she was believable and that she was somebody that you recognize. Um, and I love it when I put down a book and I I say, oh, my God, I can see every single one of those characters. They're all very believable. But yet they did this. <laughs> so. mm. Well, if you are listening at home and you want to uh, judge these characters for yourself <laughs> and enjoy the spine tingling twists um, that we've uh, touched very lightly around, um, uh, the novel is called who we were. Our guest has been Burr Carroll. She's been a delight. Burr, thank you for joining us from your bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ben and Sarah. And if you're listening at home, uh, order all of Burr's books from booktopia.com.au or go and support your local independent bookshop. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au dot